Hello and welcome back to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant. This is I Love Basketball, and I'm joined by everyone's favorite host, Anthony Irwin. Anthony, how you doing? I'm doing better than Bill Plaschke. <laughs> I'm in a better mood than Bill Plaschke. Can we just start by re- like li- just the, the beginning of the 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 article that he wrote about Jared Dudley? You know, normally, I'm not in favor of reading things that are behind a paywall, you know, on free content, but. This this demands a little extra attention. So this is so go good. It. It, it reads like a poem. So, so again, this is from the LA Times. Bill Plaschke wrote about Jared Dudley. Um, quote: He barely played, but his passion could be seen in every play. He was the last guy on the bench, but the strongest voice in the locker room. On a team of disparate personalities, he was the glue. Amid a laborious season filled with lulls, he was their muse. He kept. Their two superstars aligned. He kept their role players from feeling neglected, and he eventually helped them win a championship. Is this all regarding like two years ago? Because last year, <laughs> the chemistry was shit. <laughs> I just want to point out one how remarkable something has to be for Anthony to read it not once, but multiple times. <laughs> So it's kudos like, to you, Bill Blaschke. It's like Harry Potter and the, the, the introduction to this article. Oh, man. So, I can't believe it. Yeah. Apparently, Jared Dudley is the key to LeBron James and Anthony Davis getting along. That's incredible. Yeah, I guess we, we have to start, you know, chemistry watch on our two superstars here in Los Angeles because... The only thing holding them together was one Jared Dudley. <laughs> and like Plasky is always over the top, always like that is what he brings it's to the life. table. Yeah, and and so like clearly there's 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 a lot of Plaskyism going on here. But, but like <laughs> I don't know, I would have I would have put a lot more stock into the story and by the way like the 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 like what we're talking about today is the reports that jared dudley wanted to be back with the lakers said he would have taken a, a non-guaranteed contract said he wanted to coach with the lakers uh but the the lakers apparently rebuffed him at at every one of those steps so but yeah like if this was two years ago coming off of the championship where you saw the team get along incredibly well amidst like a much more laborious season, right? Where, where it was literally broken up and then they had to go and play in Orlando in the bubble. And, and you saw the impact that chemistry had on that team, especially compared to some of the teams that they played and some of the other teams playing in that bubble. I would, I would put more stock in it, but the Lakers last year didn't have good chemistry. Like that wasn't something that I really saw. And I was like, okay, they need to do whatever it takes to recreate that again. I'm not that that's not something I walked away from last season thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that, you know, we make a lot of fun of Jared Dudley of just taking up a roster spot, like in the mold of Udonis Haslam or something, just Mm -hmm. essentially the coach on the court. But during 2019, 20, he actually played sometimes like when Mm -hmm. the Lakers were hurt, you could put him on the court and count on him for like a good 12 minutes of functional big man play. And that wasn't even the case last year, right? Like he was hurt for most of the season. He delayed getting surgery because he wanted to make sure that he'd be built to back, be back for the playoffs. And like that didn't end up working out. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't exactly begrudge the Lakers for wanting to hold a roster spot for someone who can play on the court, considering 
how many of their players have age-related injury concerns or just yeah. regular injury concerns. Uh, so it, it, there's a couple couple ways to look at this. I mean, I, I guess we should focus on the chemistry first. I mean, like you said, the, the Lakers didn't have it last year. Um, and it's not like the bubble just, you know, forged them into this incredibly tight-knit unit. Like we saw them all throughout the regular season in 2019-20, just mm-hmm. having a great time with one another and openly going to bat for one another publicly, like when you know, uh, Dwight Howard told people to stop clowning on KCP publicly or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Danny Green, let him talk about it on his podcast, like how he was feeling with his mental health and things like that. And those are things that happen when your teammates really care about one another and get along with Mm -hmm. one another. Um, And speaking of Jared Dudley, like how he took Kyle Kuzma underneath his wing and sort of helped him get used to the fact that he was no longer the star of the show in Los Angeles as he had Mm -hmm. been, you know, during his first couple of seasons on the team. Uh, all of those things like contributed to just a wonderful mixture, you know, of chemistry that resulted in the championship. I think it was as big of a component as their individual talent, because yeah, I mean, we see a lot of talented teams that just don't quite work out. Right. Right. Especially compared to some of the teams that either lost along the way or the Lakers mm-hmm. beat themselves uh, along the way. Like we saw exactly. the impact that that chemistry had. And then we saw the impact that not having that chemistry had on last year's team. Absolutely. And if, you know, Jared Dudley was on both of those teams and somehow that magic elixir didn't work in year two, I don't think it's reasonable to think that like he is the glue holding this entire team together. Um, (laughs) For all of the problems that last year's Lakers had, I don't think Anthony Davis and LeBron James's relationship was one of them. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. And it was their relationship to working parts of their body. Like that was, that that was, (laughs) Unless Jared Dudley could could magically heal those guys, I don't think Jared Dudley was. And, and look, I don't mean to disparage Dudley. I really like the guy. I I I like the notion of keeping chemistry guys around. I actually, mm-hmm. you know, with with Miami, for example, keeping Udonis Haslam around. Part of it I mock because I think last year he played a total of thirty seconds and picked up two technicals in in, in, in Incredible terms of his stats. <laughs> uh, I think our our buddies Fast Break Breakfast said that he had. 12 ejections per 36 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so like, I'm, I, I, but even still with Miami having a younger team and, and uh, some of those pieces kind of coming and going, I, I can see why somebody like Pat Riley, especially would look at that and say, yeah, I want, I want one guy who is going to be the constant and who is, uh, and especially somebody is kind of physically imposing as Udonis Haslam. Like he's a freaking badass. And yeah, it's somehow I think Udonis Haslam's uh, words are going to carry a little bit more weight with than than <laughs> than Jared Dudley's. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> I, I and again, like I, I, I again, I come back to I really like Jared Dudley. I do. I. I um I would love to have him on any of the shows on on here. And I think he's a fascinating person. And I think his general approach to basketball is really interesting and 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 really kind of cool. The more that you kind of look at it and you get in you you get into the weeds about it. But yeah, I mean the Lakers have LeBron, Russ, and AD all on max or super max contracts. They have Taylor Horton Tucker on uh a 10-ish million dollar deal. They have Kendrick Nunn on $5 million a year. Everybody else beyond that is going to be on veterans minimum contracts. And all of those veteran minimum contracts are gambles. They are shots in the dark. You're hoping that those guys outperform 
uh, that that contract rate. And I don't begrudge the Lakers for wanting an extra shot in the dark on a veteran minimum contract who they they like when when you take one of those shots and you apply it to Jared Dudley, you know, you're not going to get production beyond that contract value. You know it. He played 70 minutes, I think, last year. He might play 60 this year. And so I don't know. I, I just don't I don't see. And especially a team like the 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 thing that's kind of gone unsaid here, and um, uh, Yossi uh, Goslan or Goslan uh, tweeted this out a couple weeks ago, and he said, uh, "I'm reading, Lakers will have a 200 million dollar combined payroll and luxury tax after they presumably sign two players to the veteran minimum. Signing Jared Dudley as the 15th man would cost an extra eight million dollars." Signing him the last day of the regular season for their playoff run would cost $31,000 in tax money, right? And, and like, we know that the taxes played a role in, like, Aaron Larsoul came on the show and said flat out that was a tax sacrifice. Letting Alex Caruso walk was a tax sacrifice. Not just letting him walk, but not signing and trading him, not using that money somewhere else not signing him to a contract and maybe trading him uh, in the middle of the season. Yeah. Like those are, those are all decisions made because the Lakers were nervous about the luxury tax. And I, if you're, if you're going to draw the line at Alex Caruso and his tangible production in regards to luxury taxes, I don't see how you would then ignore that line and bring somebody on whose production is going to be almost completely intangible and, 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 and take on that financial hit. So they're hoping that whoever they bring on in those in those last few roster spots are going to have some type of tangible production. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's it's fairly clear why Dudley is not back as a player. I don't think there is a lot to argue about here, because even if you like what Dudley brings in terms of this, you know, chemist on the roster, like I I think it's a perfectly reasonable argument to say that you can't be wasting roster spots when the rest of your team is so fragile as it's like, I, Mm -hmm. I completely understand that. But that brings us to the fact that like the Lakers could have brought him on as an assistant coach. Mm -hmm. And that's where this becomes a little bit trickier because Mm -hmm. yeah, if you bring someone on as assistant coach, they can't be in your recruiting meetings for Russell Westbrook, like Tara Dudley reportedly was during the start Mm -hmm. of this off season. Right. Like that is a meaningful difference. But if you believe firmly in the value of Dudley's role in the locker room, you would want to have him around in some capacity. And the Lakers could have done that without affecting their tax payment, right? Like if they were to hire Dudley mm-hmm. as an assistant coach, it would be much cheaper than a veteran's minimum. It would not count towards any of their luxury tax payments, right? Yeah. So it wouldn't be the huge financial hit that signing him as the 15th man would be, but they didn't. And that's sort of where I'm a little confused because I, I do believe that Dudley has a value mm-hmm. just in his voice and his presence. And like, I think a lot of the things he says about how role players need to behave themselves in the league. Like, you know, if you're not the number one guy, then you can't just make scoring your number one skill. Like you have to mm-hmm. make yourself useful in some other way. I think those are all very valuable lessons, but why do you think the Lakers either didn't make him the offer to be an assistant coach or, I mean, I guess the reporting was that they didn't, he, he wanted yeah. to come back in some capacity and they just said, no. Right. Well, so the reporting from Plaschke was that he was willing to take a non-guaranteed deal, right? Okay. But the problem there, though, is that, like, what would you guarantee that based off of? You don't, <laughs> like, what? I'm sorry, but, like, what, 
what what would you what decision he shows like up that on decision time that you every day make, right like, like is Talon Horton Tucker standing better on the wing <laughs> yeah right like what well, how how are you making the decision whenever that time comes to guarantee that contract? Because as soon as you guarantee it, that $8 million is going to be kicked in as the luxury mm-hmm. tax payment. And then if you don't guarantee it, you're basically waiving him right before the most important stretch of your season, right? As you're getting ready for the postseason. So like the, the non-guaranteed contract thing, like I, I thought it was kind of weird that that was held up as like, he was even willing to do this. It's like, well, great, but that doesn't really mean anything because it's the same, the same reasons that they wouldn't want him on a guaranteed deal would apply to a non-guaranteed deal too. They did say uh, something about him wanting to coach and, and the article said something about him wanting to coach and that the Lakers didn't make him an offer there. But again, like what offer would the Lakers have been able to make compared to what he got with Dallas? He's going to be sitting in the front row there. That right there trims off of a good four or five years of, a lot of guys, you know, careers as they mm-hmm. try to climb the coaching ranks. So the Lakers, we already know, promised uh, that one of those uh, front row bench spots to Mike Penberthy, who was very close with Anthony Davis. They hired David Fisdale. They uh, already have, obviously, Frank Vogel and Phil Handy. So, like, there's, they don't have that extra roster, that, that extra spot on the bench there. There's a fifth coach that I'm forgetting, too. But, um, and, and, like the fact that they, they they couldn't offer the similar role that he has now in Dallas. And so of course, like you can't offer what you, what you don't have. So I don't know necessarily, and this is something that I'm still going to kind of dig on um, with, with the few people that I know who have some understanding of the situation, but as I know it right now, they just don't have that spot to give. So I don't know. And, and if Dudley wasn't willing to be more of a player development coach or more of a, a back row kind of film room guy, then I don't, I don't know what the gripe here would be. Yeah, I guess the question is always like, do you take a smaller role on a team that has a better chance of contending than a bigger role on a team that is not as, I guess, high up on that path? And yeah. that kind of comes down to how you view the Mavericks' chances of contention versus the Lakers. Like, it's not like this is... <clears throat> a decision between re-signing with the Lakers and going to like the Sacramento Kings or something, right? Like the Mavericks are a good team. I don't think they're Mm -hmm. on the level of the Lakers, but there is a reason to believe that they could be a second round playoff team in the Western conference next year. Like they haven't been that since they won a championship in 2011, but uh, you know, Lucas getting older, he's coming off a really good stint at the Olympics. Like they brought in some nice pieces over the off season. If you're Jared Dudley, you could easily convince yourself that like, Hey, the Lakers are, I'm sorry, the Mavericks are going to make, you know, the semifinals at least, or the conference finals, even in a best case scenario. So it's not like the Lakers can offer you that much more than what the Mavericks did, you know, like in terms Mm of a chance of contention. I do wonder how much of it just comes down to how much he likes Jason Kidd. Like Mm -hmm. uh, Jason Kidd's staff is very strange to me um, because it's, there's no turn, there's no uh, continuity from Rick Carlisle's group from what I understand. Uh, It's it's an entirely new group. Um, like all former players. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, who, who is taking that last front row spot on Lakers? Is it Miles Simon? Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly of what his role is considering the, the South Bay crossover thing that he's doing. Yeah. Um, is it Quentin Crawford? 
Yeah, I'm, so I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it right now. So they have the coaches listed in order: Frank Vogel, Phil Handy, Miles Simon, Mike Penberthy, Quentin Crawford, Drew Anthrop, and uh, John Pastrek. And they don't have Fisdale listed yet, which I find mm-hmm. interesting. And and Miles Simon, like I don't think he can be a front row coach because there's just going to be some games that he's not going to be there if he's going to be the head right. coach of the of the uh, South Bay Lakers. Relationship that's going to be. I don't understand I asked the around whatsoever. Yeah, I asked around the league, especially with G League people and, and people who, who cover that, and they all of them said, like, that's kind of unique. They haven't really heard of that before. And it, it kind of depends on the role he's going to play with the with with as an assistant coach with the Lakers. Like, if he's more film room, you can do that remote, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, if he's expected to be a, a front row, like, seat kind of guy, then they, he that that seems kind of odd, very, very odd. It honestly reminds me, you know, back when I was trying to, when I, when I considered coaching as my career path, I went to my old high school. I asked to be there. Uh, I, I was uh, applying for the freshman job. They wound up giving me JV. And then because I was with the, we could, because I had the JV team, I could travel with the varsity team and I would sit on the varsity bench as well. Right. And so um, it, that really reminds me of, of Miles's role here, but you don't really see that <laughs> in, in the professional ranks very often. So yeah, I, I, I think, look, I think Vogel might have somebody in mind, you know, um, it's kind of late in the game, but also, mm-hmm. you know, with, with coaching assistant coaching jobs, uh, you know, you, you, you start getting paid as soon as you're hired, I think. And the Lakers might be wanting to wait until closer to the season. Look, I don't know how bad the money situation is because if you're, if you're reluctant, yeah, like I, I, and, and uh, the, the fact that it's come up as often as it has tells me Mm -hmm. that it's, it's probably pretty not ideal. And Mm -hmm. if it isn't ideal, then, you know, you, you do the kind of things where you wait a couple months before you pay, you start paying an assistant coach. You wait until training camp until the assistant coach actually shows up. And so I think when we get closer to the season, we'll get more clarity on that. And maybe Frank Vogel wants somebody with a little bit more experience. We know that he values experience on his uh, coaching staff. Mm-hmm. And has a you bunch know, maybe, of former head coaches when he first started, right? Exactly. And and with with Vogel, maybe he looks at Dudley and says, "Hey, I I, I respect you greatly." Um, but I want somebody on this front row with me who has either prior coaching experience in, in, in the NBA or on our staff, right. With Mike Penberthy being a part mm-hmm. of the staff now for a few years. And if you want to go and cut your teeth somewhere else, awesome until then. And, and, and until, you know, you start learning a little bit more about, about the, the NBA, I, this is what I kind of value on my front row here. I'm not saying that's definitively the fact I'm, I'm still digging, but, but, if that was the case, it wouldn't shock me. And it, and it, and it, and it honestly, like, I understand it. If that's what you're right. comfortable with, it's your staff. Yeah, absolutely. And it sort of just comes down to the fact that like, you know, we've criticized a lot of the decisions that the Lakers have made this off season, you know, because they've come from financial motivations rather than what would actually benefit the team. I think this whole situation regarding Dudley, like you can paint it in the light where it, it, it's all about the team. It's not about the finances. Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't want to use a roster spot on a guy who can't play it. You mm-hmm. don't want to like non-guarantee a deal when you can take a flyer on somebody else who could potentially produce for you. You don't want to give an unexperienced coach that level of responsibility right away. Like these are yeah. all reasonable 
arguments to be made, you know, in favor of roster building, you know, bench building for the coaching staff that suck because, you know, once again, another player who made an imprint in his time with the Lakers, you know, was, was the muse for their championship run is no longer on the team. Um, But like it, it's all very defensible to me. Like it's why I can't get too worked up about it because like, even though Dudley is just a great guy to have on the Lakers and I, I thoroughly enjoy having someone who is so vocal on the team, you know, even Mm -hmm. in his like private methods of communication. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I, I don't like, I don't think there's a lot of uh, criticisms to be had about the way they handled it. I do think the, the one thing we should talk about though, is that Jared Dudley said that LeBron James and Anthony Davis yeah. wanted him back. Right. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking from what we know about the Lakers over the past three or so years, if LeBron James wants something, LeBron James gets something. Mm-hmm. And so that is fascinating to me that LeBron James would ask for something as relatively inconsequential as Jared Dudley occupying the 15th spot on a roster mm-hmm. and not get it. Yeah. It, it's so, it's so surprising that I find myself at, you know, wondering about the legitimacy of, of uh, the point that Dudley is making here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not calling Dudley a liar. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going that far at all. I'm just saying that like, we know from Rob Polinka, he has said, multiple times that uh, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, they provide him a list of players and, and it's his job to find the combination of those players that work. Like that's where they work alongside each other. And it's his job to go out there and get those kinds of players. And if LeBron James and if Anthony Davis were adamant about keeping Jared Dudley and they provided context as to why they think he's important, I just don't see Rob Polinka operating unilater- unilaterally on this. Unless, unless he has the, the, the voice of ownership behind him saying, we can't afford $8 million on a 15th roster spot who doesn't produce anything. That would be interesting, right? That would, that would be significant to me in, in, in the working relationship that these guys all have together. Uh, we just don't know enough about that quite yet. The other thing, too, that makes me feel better about this, and I know this is going to sound kind of callous, but where are the teams lining up to employ Jared Dudley? Like as a player, like if mm. he's, if he's, if he's this muse, if he is the glue that keeps together a championship team, then you would think that teams would be lining up for that secret ingredient or not so secret ingredient. Right. And, and, and yet Brooklyn Nets like, with a 15th roster spot or, you right, know, like any, any the of these Warriors with an are, extra roster spot. Yeah. Right. And, and so the fact that nobody, you know, he, that, that Dudley went from, potentially holding the, the 15th roster spot with the Lakers to I'm retiring. I'm going to go coach. That tells me that the offers weren't exactly filing in, you know? And, and, and again, like that, it's kind of a dick thing for me to say, right. Because I'm, I'm isolating his career down to the opportunities that comes at the end of it. But, but still like, that's how business works. You, you, mm-hmm. you, you have leverage based off of the desire from other places. And so the fact that he didn't have that leverage is, is kind of interesting to me, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Where, where do you side on this? Because I I'm of the opinion that I just, I don't see Rob acting unilaterally here. So it's either, in my opinion, it's either Jeannie and the ownership group saying we can't afford an $8 million chemistry guy. Mm -hmm. um, Or 
like, let's be honest, they make the Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook trade. And as a result of that, Polenka says to them, well, that means we're going to have to skimp somewhere, some other places. And that reality might hurt LeBron and might, might hurt Anthony Davis. But at the end of the day, like they, they might sign off on it. Yeah. I, I kind of land on the, you know, you know how LeBron has been saying for years, like I would love to play with Mello, but never went to the front office and told him to sign Mello kind of thing. Right. Even when he was making minimum deals. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> like when he was out of the league for a year and had to come back to Portland, like, you know, with just what I'm trying to think of the expression, what is it like your hands? Um, well, actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I'm, there's, I, I, I lost my turn. I don't read right enough now. to know all of these things. <laughs> What I'm trying to say is that LeBron has publicly said things about certain players and then not carried out on those, yeah. you know, thoughts and feelings with the front office. Like I think Man, it sure would be good if Shabazz uh, Napier was drafted <laughs> by the Miami heat. All right. Good luck with the heat Shabazz Napier. <laughs> I mean, good for him. Turn into a first round pick. Like, yeah, you got to leverage your connections with LeBron as best as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, cannot for the life of me remember the last time Shabazz Napier was in the league I think was he just, was on Portland he got drafted and point. immediately got out of there yeah. <laughs> but yeah so I I sort of land on the fact that you know LeBron made a very public statement about how much he was going to miss Dudley like he saw the tweet that Dudley was going to be a coach on Mavericks and you know wanted to believe that it wasn't true because like, you know, you never know if all the reporting is true. And then, uh, you know, tweeted how much he was going to miss him and how much it hurt. And I, I believe all of that, but I think if LeBron went to the front office and said, Hey, we have a couple of roster spots left. One of them has to be duds. They would have done it. I really mm-hmm. do believe that maybe they would have, you know, come to an agreement with Dudley where, Hey, you can work out with the team just separately for the first two months of the season. And then we'll sign you later. Just, you know, cut that tax bill. Like you were talking about, um, make it as minimal as possible. Mm-hmm. But I just don't see a situation where Rob acts like counter to the interests of his stars. Like they yeah. were on the doorstep of a trade with the Sacramento Kings for Buddy Hills. Right. LeBron was like, nah, we're getting Russ. And they got Russ with the same pieces they were supposed to trade for Buddy Hills. <laughs> right. Like, that yeah. is the level of influence he exerts upon this front office. So to not get something again, like you said it was 8 million, but it's, it's still just one player, like yeah. the 15th guy on the roster. It's not right. that big of a deal mm-hmm. to not get that just makes me think that like LeBron like studs, you know, would have been happy having him around, but wasn't going to use his capital, like for lack of a better word, to argue for that versus something else. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it this is a working relationship. There are, there mm-hmm. are gives and there are takes. And uh, sometimes you, you keep your powder dry for a later day when you really do, you say, all right, fine. You don't want to spend. And, and like, I, I'd be, I want to make sure I'm consistent on this because when I say it's $8 million in tax money in Jared Dudley, I want to apply the same logic that I used with Alex Caruso, where it isn't necessarily $8 million on just Jared Dudley. You could look at it as taxes on LeBron James's contract and be perfectly Mm -hmm. fine with whatever contracts you have to impose on LeBron James contracts. Um, So I want to get that out of the way, but yeah, maybe LeBron goes to the Lakers and says, all right, fine. You didn't want to pay the luxury taxes to keep Alex Caruso. You didn't want to pay the luxury taxes to keep Jared Dudley. But eventually, 
when the revenue streams pick back up, I want to make absolutely sure we are a zillion percent committed to continuing to compete, not just like, not just because the, the line that I keep seeing coming out of the Lakers is like, we are committed to spending what it takes to put a contender out there. Well, what if you have the opportunity to spend more than the Brooklyn Nets to, to, to absolutely hammer down a chance at winning a championship? Are you going to be willing to do that? You know, is, is that something that you're going to be willing to do? And if you're LeBron right now and you're saying, all right, fine, we know the line in the stand, the stand is right here right now. But eventually that line, I would hope, is going to move further in the direction of being more open to spending because revenue is going to pick back up because mm-hmm. hopefully Delta variant will be behind us and you'll get fans back in the stands and so on and so forth. And and so whenever that comes, I I I didn't make a stink about losing Caruso. I didn't make a stink about losing Alex uh, Jared Dudley. I will make a stink if we continue to cheap out. You know, I, mm-hmm. I will speak up. The one thing we know about LeBron is that eventually he does find breaking points. Eventually, if 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 the Lakers make enough, you know, frugal decisions, eventually he's going to say something about it. And 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 I'm really curious to find out where that line might be because if it continues this way, we are going to find it. I just really want to know where that might be. Yeah, and it's so interesting because like the Cavaliers um, even for all of the the strange decisions they made in trying to build a team around LeBron in both iterations of his time in Cleveland, mm-hmm. not paying the tax was not one of them. Like, right. They realized that even being in Cleveland, the amount of money that you get from employing LeBron James on your team justifies paying the luxury tax. Yeah, right. Uh, and, you know, they they took on a lot of extra money to make LeBron happy. Think about all the contracts that they signed, you know, Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith mm-hmm. and Kevin Love too. I mean, they are still paying for the sins of some of the things that they made during that last four mm-hmm. years. It's so weird to me that Cleveland would be more willing to spend than the Lakers are considering the financial advantages that come from playing in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And like you said, LeBron hits breaking points. Um, he he hit it in Miami when like they let go of Mike Miller, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he just you know wanted to be with the Lakers. Like I, I really don't think that Cleveland could have done anything front office wise to try to keep him other than like I guess saving Kyrie Irving and not trading him. But that mm-hmm. wasn't a money move, right? That was trying to find players who liked playing with LeBron James better. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was as much Kyrie Irving as it was the Cavs making that decision. Mm-hmm. And and. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it sucks that it's basically this simple, but it is. This is just the reality of the situation. You look at uh, Dan Gilbert's net worth and you Google that. I think it's well north of a few billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you compare that to Jeannie Buss's net worth, which I believe is still in the $500 million range, which not exactly on food stamps, but still compared to other, uh, other owners around the league. It is a, a smaller revenue stream, source of revenue stream, uh, just in terms of the amount of capital that can go into the Lakers. My thing, again, is like anybody who has studied business or anybody who has you know, made, made any kind of financial decision that, that comes with payoff, potential payoff, is the more you spend to a certain extent, the more you make. And, and I, think, you know, it, I, I think it's harder to make that argument in regards to Jared Dudley because he doesn't have the, the production. But I would make that argument in regards to Alex Caruso, right? Where 
you keep Alex Caruso around. And if he improves your, your chances of winning by like 5% or whatever it might be, then if you win a championship with Alex Caruso and you, and say they lose a championship without Alex Caruso, that 5% winds up being something that would have really benefited the Lakers, you know, cause championships do really pay off, especially if it's the championship number 18 that gets you, that gets you past the Boston Celtics. Right. And so like that's what's what's really interesting to me about this season is that uh, the Lakers obviously clearly really want championship eighteen, but how like to what point you know and and we've we've seen that this is the point like there was even some some kind of whispers as the offseason was going along that Genie Bus wouldn't have minded all that much if they were uh, if they found themselves how hard capped yeah yeah because then she has plausible deniability about not spending I, I would love to spend more money but i just can't gosh darn it you know and and so like and and this is one thing that i hope that people took from the conversation that i had with aaron because uh he he is a member of the lakers organization they gave him a, a, a lakers championship ring and he and i asked him like is this a result of just the last couple of years and the lack of revenue compared to previous you know typical years and he said yes, and that eventually they'll get back to spending more. But you know, will they ever spend and keep up with, with the spending of like Golden State or Brooklyn or or the any Clippers, of the yeah. other? Yeah, like it, the Clippers. Yes, exactly. Uh, will they will they be able to do that? Because like as the Lakers' revenue streams go up, well, so you would think with those other teams' revenue streams. So will the Lakers always be at a spending disadvantage with those teams? I think that's a fair question. And it's one that is, is one of the louder questions that came out of this offseason. Yeah. It almost makes me want Boston to be better just to put a little bit of pressure on the Lakers, you know, to get to number 18 first. <laughs> We've been sitting in this holding pattern where like the Lakers can afford to just chill out because there's no pressure yeah. from the Celtics to mm-hmm. get to that number before we do, but <laughs> Now that is some incredible, like that's some incredible, I guess, would that be game theory? Like, like that's just something like that. <laughs> that's just, that is 40 checkers right there. Boston get better so that you get apply better. more pressure to the, exactly. to the Lakers. Yeah. Like, do you think that if Boston was a legitimate title contender, the Lakers would be sitting on their, you know, hands and not doing everything possible to be better than the Celtics? That's a real question. That's a really good question. That That's something that I would love to hear, like what the average fan thinks. If, or, or not even, not even their thoughts on that question, but like, would they be more desperate to spend if Boston was better? Right. Like if right now the teams that the Lakers are competing against for a championship this year is like Brooklyn, the Clippers are down kind of bad, right? Because Kawhi Mm -hmm. probably isn't going to play this year. Uh, I golden state isn't necessarily on the Lakers on par with the Lakers. So it's like Mm -hmm. Brooklyn, Milwaukee and the Lakers that's tier one. And then of those of those two other teams, is there a team there that really ignites the fan base? Like we got to beat that team, not necessarily. So yeah, like they, they can kind of get away with, well, see, we would love to have Alex Caruso back, but look, it's, it would cost us 40 million extra dollars. Could you believe it? And, Could and like, believe it? always my answer to that is I don't give a, <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, just like when the You're telling when, me when, you can do something to make your team better within the laws of the cva i think yeah. we should do it <laughs> i think that's a good idea i i yeah this is like when when the dodgers were thinking about going out and getting max scherzer and mm-hmm. and trey turner and especially once we found out that those guys could be heading to san diego it's like mm-hmm. oh well 
yeah, uh, I think it's like Kibero Ruiz, uh, their catching mm-hmm. prospect, the number one prospect in the in the Dodgers organization at the time. It's like, yeah, it'd be nice to keep him, but you know, Will Smith is really bleeping Will good. Smith is so, really good. <laughs> so let's let's do what it takes to not only get Scherzer but keep him out of San Diego. So, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 but like that that that's an example I think right there of of where Laker fans are at. It's like there isn't an immediate. Oh gosh, we got to, not only do we have to keep Alex Caruso, but we have to keep Alex Caruso, Alex Caruso out of Chicago. Like that's not, that's not mm-hmm. a thought that I really, that, that really crossed many people's minds. But if it was like, we, you got to keep Alex Caruso, not just to have him on your roster, but because Milwaukee, Brooklyn, the Clippers, yeah. the Celtics could get him. Then I, mm-hmm. then I would say like, then I would, I would imagine the outcry would be a little bit louder about, Man, not only did you get worse, but the team that you're competing against has got got significantly better. Yeah, and I feel like the Lakers sort of acted with that level of desperation when the Clippers were infringing on their territory, right? Mm-hmm. Like when uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard teamed up, like the Lakers worked really hard to make their team as good as possible. Like they're yeah, obviously you know their their plan A was Kawhi Leonard, but they were very creative that offseason, like throughout the season, trying to make their team better didn't sit on their laurels, tried to improve their team even more in the 2020 off season, which, you know, mm-hmm. works to varying effect. Bad gambles. Like, yeah. Yeah. But at I, least they gambled. They put money yeah, on the I table. Do think, I do think that the Clippers being right here and presenting a threat, like influences the Lakers more than might be like, you know, I might want to think about because like, yeah, they don't think of the Clippers like as the same level as yeah. the Lakers, but they don't want them you know, becoming another championship team in the same market. Like that is something that's very important to the Lakers to have that monopoly on the rings here. And I just, I think back to like the, the Kevin Garnett Celtics, like they, that group made the Lakers work harder and Mm -hmm. this Clippers group made the Lakers work harder. And I don't know. I, I almost wish that one of those teams was still a little bit better to make the Lakers work harder. Absolutely. It's an interesting thought. It's, it's, it's a really cool thought exercise, right? Where none of these decisions get made in a vacuum, right? I, like, I, I think to your point, if the Clippers had Kawhi Leonard where the Lakers had skimped on Caruso and maybe Dudley, because if you, if you have Caruso on your roster, you could use one of your roster spots because you know what kind of production you're going to get from Caruso, right? Mm-hmm. So you could use one of those roster spots on a product on, on a player that you might not get similar production from or, or consistent product, any kind of, in the case of Jared Dudley, really any uh, tangible yeah. production. Um, but you can do that because you know, you're going to get it from the more expensive player that you kept. And so like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I would love to know, you know, if, if, if the other teams that the Lakers were competing against were teams that the Lakers themselves or the Laker fan base really cared more about, which that might change, right? Like if the Lakers lose in the finals this year, to the Brooklyn Nets, and it's because the Nets had better James talent Harden because they paid, well, <laughs> but also like also because like they 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 you know I can't imagine I always forget the shooter's name. How do you Joe, Joe Harris? Harris, thank you. I always want to call him Joel Knight, and it's like that's not his name, but it like it it costs money to keep Joe Harris. I don't know who that guy is. I don't know who. Okay. That <laughs> <laughs> but, but like it probably costs significant tax dollars to keep Joe Harris on the roster. Right. Um, it probably costs significant dollars to 
you know, to make some of the decisions that they've made as evidenced by their, their giant tax bill. Right. And mm-hmm. so um, maybe if the Lakers lose to the nets this year, and it's a particularly stinging loss, then maybe they, maybe they, they change their tune in the, in the coming off seasons. I know they'll get more pressure from LeBron, right? You know that he's mm-hmm. going to speak up a little bit. Um, but as it stands right now, I don't think they feel all that threatened. I, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up that point. I really hadn't thought of it that way before. Yeah, it's just, I, I, I'm always like keeping track of, you know, how many titles the Celtics have. And I just, I, I don't feel like that number is going up anytime soon. <laughs> so oh, maybe it not. gives the Lakers a little sense of complacency. <laughs> <laughs> Although like the Lakers went through like the three peat, right. And they built some really good, you know, those really good teams while the Celtics were pretty bad. So they were that, so far behind. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to, you basically owe it to yourself to build a really good team when you have Shaq and Kobe on it. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's like, that's the argument that I've made with AD with and LeBron. LeBron and AD. Yeah. You owe it to yourself to go to the furthest extent to do what it takes to compete when you have those guys on your roster. And, and look, just like we like, just like we have to be uh, consistent when it comes to the logic and criticizing the luxury tax process, we have to be consistent in our analysis when it comes to the the thought process for letting Caruso go. Like, mm-hmm. if LeBron and if Anthony Davis were adamant, we have to keep this guy around. Period. He'd be here. He'd be like, yeah, and and. Uh, and that's not just me though. Like there, there, that's, that's kind of the, the whispers that come out of the organization is like, if those guys were absolutely adamant about keeping Alex Caruso, he would still be a Laker. It's just that they valued trading for Russell Westbrook and the, uh, opportunity cost that that might mean elsewhere more than keeping, somebody like Alex Caruso around and making a lesser, but you know, a less expensive, but a heel trade. I don't know. I, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's, that's, that's basically the prism. We have to look at this entire off season through. Right. Right. And you know, we've, we've gotten to this point where like, it, it kind of seems like LeBron's going to retire with the Lakers, no matter what, like he seems very comfortable here mm-hmm. in Los Angeles with his family. Uh, as, as we've mentioned numerous times, he exercises a great deal of organizational control, even as a player. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's hard to imagine him wanting to go somewhere else when he's at this age already, but like, is there something the Lakers could do to piss him off enough to want to move? I I don't know. (laughs) Well, but look, I don't think losing Jared Dudley or losing Alex Caruso are going to be the things that piss him off enough Mm -hmm. to leave. Right. Um, it, it clearly annoyed LeBron enough to go out and tweet about it, but even those tweets, I find LeBron hilarious. I do like unintentionally hilarious. And when he goes out there and tweets like, God, this one hurts more than, you know, and, and this and that, you know, I find myself saying, LeBron, are you really acting as if like you couldn't have kept this guy? Like this is, you, you really honestly think that there are people out there who think that you couldn't have with one adamant word, kept the guy around. Like, this is what we're doing here. And that's why I find him hilarious because he's out there acting as if he couldn't. Jared Dudley is out there relaying the message that, they couldn't, LeBron they being wanted, LeBron yeah. and AD. But again, I just, not to call any of them liars, but I just don't believe it. I just don't, I don't believe that that's necessarily the case. And look, part of Rob Polinka's job, I think, is kind of commissioner-ish, you know, where 
if the Lakers do something unpopular, he's going to be the meat shield. He's going to be the bad guy. Like that's kind of what he signed up for in this working relationship with LeBron and AD. That's kind of how this goes. Just like if, if the NBA does something that is not very popular, Adam Silver has to stand up and, and answer for it. If the NFL does something, when the NFL does something that is, is really stupid, borderline racist, it's Roger Goodell's job to stand up there. He's paid 40 plus million dollars a year to stand up there and answer those questions. And I think here with, with Rob Palenka, um, I thought the phrasing of it, I don't like the, the phrasing of it was, was really good in, in Plasky's article. It, it, I'm, I'm paraphrasing cause I don't have it in front of me right now, but, uh, oh yeah, here it is. Cool. I just, I scrolled to it on accident. Uh, quote, while Polinka was unavailable for comment, Laker officials wanted to convey their deepest respect and admiration for Dudley, who they said will always be a part of the, the Lakers family. So Rob Polinka specifically couldn't answer for it. But I'm sure Rob Polinka isn't disagreeing with the Lakers saying that they, they view Jared Dudley as family, right? And, and, and eventually, Polinka is going to have a press conference where he has to answer questions. I hope he gets you know, direct questions about, hey, is this spending limit something that will continue moving forward? And will, will the Lakers always be at a, dis, a, a spending disadvantage compared to some of the teams with richer owners. And, and, and uh, that's something that he'll probably dance around and he'll probably say something very politically correct to uh, say a whole bunch of words without actually saying anything. But it's his job to do that, right? Like it's, it's part of his job to stand up there and answer those questions. And eventually he's going to. Yeah, I, I look forward to whatever strange anecdotes Rob Palenka tries to, you know, compare to the story of this Lakers offseason. Uh, it's it's been a while since we've heard a good, you know, like yeah, woman on a train holding onto a pole story. <laughs> you know, this reminds me of the tortoise and the hare, <laughs> where other teams jump out there and they race to their spending, their their luxury tax payments, and we're just here, the tortoise that just slowly but surely makes all the right decisions as we let okay. go of the guy who looks most like a tortoise on the rock. Oh God. <laughs> I just want to close this by saying that Anthony and I really are big fans of Jared Dudley, <laughs> despite all evidence to the contrary. <laughs> well, sometimes like sometimes things pop up that make you like that force you to sound like you're further down on Dudley, because in reality, yes, we are further down on Dudley than Bill Plasky, who believes that J Jared Dudley was the secret sauce to keeping LeBron James and Anthony Davis getting along like just because we are lower than on Jared Dudley than Bill Plasky is right now doesn't necessarily mean we don't like the guy. It's just that I don't think Jared Dudley is the key to winning championships. Yeah. And I think that's what the Lakers came to, you know, their decision. And I think that's why he's no longer with the Lakers organization and whatever that says about the Lakers as a whole, you know, something that we have tried to parse over the last 40 minutes or whatever, but <laughs> I mean, I think it says something about Jared Dudley that a guy who played 80 minutes last season could inspire this level of discourse just by not being on the team anymore. <laughs> so kudos to Jared. Uh, wish yeah. him all the best in Dallas. I just, I'm so fascinated by that team next year. I really wonder what they're going to look like, but <laughs> that is a topic for another day. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today, Anthony. Thank you all for listening. 
make sure you're subscribed to the Silver Screen Roll podcast so you can have your Lakers shows twice a day, every day during the week. And we'll be back. Later.